143 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to teach a game by reading the rulebook word for word. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about rules in games. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Durian Dash, Arachnoir, and Overboss. Then, we talk about how important or not it is to follow the rules when you're playing a board game. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal, plus special guest and patron of the show, Matt. I got a couple more review copies from Ori Game, which is a publisher from Singapore that we've uh, mentioned some of their games before, like uh, Walk and Roll and um, Chope and Kopi King. But I got Durian Dash from them recently, which just came out. And then I also got Arachnor, which is which I got a print and play version of the game, but I think there's a physical copy also. Yeah, so Durian Dash was uh, published in 2021, designed by Daryl Chow, published by Ori Game, and it is a game about the fruit durian, which if you don't know what that is, it's a spiky fruit in Malaysia. It's like very hard and spiky on the outside. It's very dangerous. (laughs) And then on the inside, it has like pods of custard-like texture is custard like and it, it smells it's very very odorous yes <laughs> I, I will say a lot of people are not fond of yes. the smell of durian yeah um, it, it's kind of smells kind of like rotting meat um or <laughs> <laughs> something well like i actually like durian but so when I, I actually smelled like a p- package of meat that I just opened once and then I, I started thinking about durian and then it like smelled better to me. So <laughs> interesting. <laughs> so yeah, um, it, it kind of smells like that. But anyways, it's called the King of Fruits because it, it is very good. Uh, well, it, it's polarizing, but but people who like it, it's, it's very good. It's also very filling. So enough about the fruit durian. I'm, I'm reviewing the game. Durian fruit podcast dash. now yeah. we're talking about fruit um, everybody but yeah like I, I have to tell you what the fruit is because this game is themed around the fruit and it's actually pretty thematic uh like their the other games from ori game that were about singaporean food and culture um so this is durian dash it's a kind of set collection card game you're trying to gather different types of durian for points so each person has types of durian that they like and they hate and you're trying to get those ones to get more points. And um, you have a hand of cards that have actions on them, like you can grab a durian or put a durian back or give a durian to someone else. And you simultaneously play those action cards and they have numbers and that's the order that people go in. But there's two markets that you can get durian from, two different towns, which are the towns in Singapore where durian come from. (laughs) Um, And so when you play your card, you, you choose which town to go to and then your card tells you which direction to come from. So there, each town is like a line of cards. And so you're saying, oh, I want to come from the right on this town. But like if someone else goes before you, then they'll get those durian that you were trying to get. It could be like a really good one, a really good one, and then like a really bad one for you. And so like they take the good ones and then you get the bad one because they had a number that went before you. So there's a lot of like trying to play, guess what other people are trying for to go for and then like oh if i think maybe someone else will go before me because i'll play this high number and then i can get this third one in line but then they end up putting a durian back or something and then you don't want it and like oh no (laughs) so that's pretty fun but you only get three cards in your hand at a time 
So there's not much variety in the actions you get. So there was a lot of luck in that. And we, we couldn't actually like have much agency over um, picking a lot of the times. So even if you're trying to do like the mind gains, they can't actually do what they want to do sometimes. So yeah, but it, it was like Durian Gap Dash was a, it was a quick game and it, it was a cool theme. <laughs> I really like the theme. And I played it at three player and four players. It was less exciting at three players since uh, a lot of times, since there's two different locations to pick from, um, there's no one else picking from the same location as you. So it's more exciting when there's more people trying to go for the same durian, I think. But yeah, that was Durian Dash. And then Arachnoir is a roll and write kind of like route making game where you're, you're invest spiders is the theme. <laughs> you're trying to draw webs to catch bugs. So yeah, you're like going around, it's a roll and write. So you, the, the dice that are rolled, uh, everyone can pick two out of those. And, and those are the movements that you can make. And you're trying to draw lines around on this triangular grid. It's all a bunch of triangles and you're trying to surround different bugs to capture them and get points. So you have to like plan to, to get the webs the certain size in order to get the bugs. And that's a, that was a fun spatial game. It's not actually on Board Game Geek. So I'm not sure if it's like officially, if the, if the printed version is officially out or not, but it looks like it's on their website. So that's Arachnoir. And, and they have a print and play version available. I played the print and play that I got a review copy of. So the print and play is $5. So I don't know like how how nice the published version is compared to the print and play. But yeah, I, I like that. I like spatial games and um, that was fun. So that's Arachnoir and Durian Dash, both by Ori Game. Awesome. Well, I got a review copy recently as well. And I will say I often research the games that I'm going to get kind of in advance and I know what I'm in for. And with this game, Brotherwise Games reached out to me and offered me a copy of this game. And I didn't really know a lot about it um, prior to them offering it to me. It's fairly new and it's called Overboss, a boss monster adventure. So this is in the same family as other boss monster games like Boss Monster, which I actually played right after it came out back in 2013. I didn't, I had to look up when it was released and yeah, it's been eight years and that kind of blew my mind a little wow. bit. Um, admittedly, it's been a very long time since I've played Boss Monster. So I don't remember a lot of the nuanced details, but in Boss Monster, the original, it's a card game where you are the overlord of a dungeon and you're building out different chambers of a dungeon using these cards or tiles trying to stop the adventurer from getting to the end of it. In this new game, Overboss, you are still a boss monster, but instead of creating a dungeon, you've now come out into the overworld and you are trying to conquer now the outside world by building a really cool, you know, ground, uh, outward <laughs> dungeon area thing um, using different types of tiles. And I'm going to make some comparisons to another game only because I recently talked about it here on the podcast and there are some similarities between the two. And that game is Cascadia, which I just talked about a couple episodes ago. So there are some cool similarities between the two games, which I didn't necessarily expect. In Overboss, each player has a player board, which has a grid on it. And the size of the grid is different on both sides. You can choose which side of the board you want to use based on how long you want the game to be. And it's uh, square shaped tiles in a grid uh, or square shaped areas that you're going 
going to place tiles into. On a player's turn, they draft from the middle area, uh, from sets of tiles and little creature monster tokens. And similar to Cascadia, you're drafting two things at the same time that have already been paired up together. And the, the two things might not necessarily go with one another, but you then place in the tile onto your grid, and then you put the monster onto a tile in your grid that is already there. And the tiles are a bunch of different land types, forests, swamps, graveyards, and then the monsters all have different types as well, and they specifically want to try and be in the same type of land area that they are. So there's monsters that want to be in a swamp or a forest or a camp. And if you place a monster in a spot that it doesn't match, that's okay. You're allowed to do that, but uh, you will score better if you can get things to match up. At the end of the game, the different types of tiles score differently. Each type has a different scoring rule, and there are more tile types than you will use in any given game. So again, similar to Cascadia, the setup is kind of variable. You get to choose which tile types you want to use, and that will change how the game plays and which tiles are in play, which monsters are in play. It'll change the way things score at the end of the game. Some tiles you want, you know, the largest area possible, or you want them to be next to other types of specific tiles, or you want them to be near the edge of the board or in the middle of the board or have different types of things surrounding them. The reason this surprised me is because while I don't remember a lot about Boss Monster, the original game from 2013, I remember it didn't really like, I didn't fall in love with it. It was fine, but there was nothing like innately super special about the original Boss Monster for me personally. And Overboss is really fun. It is one of those games that is kind of simple or can be very simple. Um, there's a lot of pieces and parts of this game that you can kind of pull in and out depending on how complex you want it to be. Technically, you know, all the players can have monster cards that give them unique special abilities and secret scoring objectives that the other players don't know about, but you don't have to play with those. If you're playing with, you know, lighter gamers or kids, for instance, you could take that part out. Some of the tiles, the way they score is very simple and some of the tiles score in a more complex way. So based on which tiles you pick, you can also kind of mess with the complexity and the difficulty of the the game in some really neat ways as well. It goes up to five players and I would say that it pro we played it with th no yeah three people and I liked it at three. I'm not sure how it would play at other player counts but it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it and I think even though it bears similarities to Cascadia, I think you could own both games if you like this type of game where you're kind of placing out tiles. This one is more structured. Cascadia, you end up with a sprawling mess of tiles that don't go into any particular place. And this one, you have a set grid that you're placing tiles into. But the drafting aspect is similar and the variability is a little similar. And I would say like, for instance, if you've got kiddos who aren't into the nature theme, but they like the mechanisms in Cascadia, or you want to play Play something that has a little bit of other cool stuff thrown in. I'd say take a look at Overboss. It's really fun. I enjoyed it quite a bit and uh, I'm really glad to have it in my collection now. So that was Overboss from Brotherwise Games designed by Aaron Mesburn and Kevin Russ, which Kevin Russ's name might be familiar to a bunch of you because he also designed uh, Calico. And it, it, it's clear that the designers put a lot of love into this one. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. It also has a good box part, right? Oh, it does have a good box fart. That is true. If you all 
If you're not following me on TikTok or our, I post that stuff sometimes on uh, Twitter as it's well. But Twitter. yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I uh, I've been testing different games' uh, ability to make cool box fart noises, and Overboss has a good one. <laughs> Way back in 2017, episode 22 of our podcast, we did an episode called Games Rule, Rulebooks Drool, which I have to say is not one of my best episode titles <laughs> I've, that I've come up with over the years. Um, but it's after four years, it felt like talking about rules in games was a discussion worth having again. And we're going to we're going to dig into some stuff that we did not touch on in our original discussion back in 2017. And I'm excited to hear from Matt, our wonderful patron who's joining us for today's episode about this topic. So let's dig in. I'm going to start by asking you both a very important question, and that is, is it important to play by the rules when you're playing a board game? I think it's important to play by a set of rules that are consistent among all the players who are playing. (laughs) Yeah, but I think the key is like having everyone play by the same set of rules, I guess, unless you're playing like Calvin Ball. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, But I guess that still is like consistent within themselves that they're making up rules and then... (laughs) <laughs> that's like the rules i don't know <laughs> yeah what do you think matt well it's hard to argue with that <laughs> <laughs> i think that 95 percent of the time that there's following the rules of the design is probably going to get you to a better gaming experience but there's yeah. definitely some edge cases and you know various groups house rules to different extents not necessarily something i i do a whole lot of but with, with a couple of exceptions Absolutely. I mean, I think with some exceptions, I would say most designers and most publishers tend to design and develop games thoughtfully and mm-hmm. put a lot of care into the rule books and the rules of a particular game. And to get the experience that they are hoping you have out of the game, playing by the rules is important for the facilitation of that. Yeah. But that being said... I will say that I've had experiences that were just as good or better by not playing by the rules of some games. And so Mm -hmm. it's an interesting thought experiment in, do I think I know better than a designer of a game? (laughs) Like, obviously not. But for me, the end result is what matters. And is everybody playing this game in this moment having fun and having you know, are are we all on an equal playing field, so to speak? And if all mm. of those things are true, then for me, while I try to play by the rules, I'm also one of those people that hates reading rule books and tends to teach <laughs> games without having ever read the rule book more often than I probably should. And so I guess I'm kind of in the camp of it's not that important to follow <laughs> the rules explicitly. But it is important to care about the rules. Does that make sense? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what I was thinking of when I was making my vague answer was <laughs> that um, like a lot of times when, when we learn a game for the first time, people might miss a rule or something, right? And so you're trying to play by the rules, but you're halfway through and then you realize, oh, we, we've been playing that rule wrong. And everyone's been playing the, the rule wrong. So... As long as it's consistent, then we're just like, okay, let's just keep playing like that or or like we agree to change it to the correct rule or something. But like we need to stay consistent because 
and, and have everyone agree with the same thing so that everyone like expects that <laughs> like if, if changing the rule to the correct rule is like oh wait but I was playing because I thought that this was going to happen and then like then, then we're just like okay let's just play by the wrong rule and we'll know for next time so it, it's important to, to I think just consistently have everyone play by the same rules yeah no I, I I do exactly what you just said if we realize mid-game yeah. that we've been playing a rule wrong we will often not divert to the correct mm-hmm. rule in that moment because it often changes the way like it affects what we've already been doing and what we were planning to do yeah if it doesn't affect those things though i will say i'll ch- i'll fix it right then yeah, yeah, like yeah. it yeah like oh we'll just start doing it the right way but um our last episode i actually talked about cubitos from aeg and when we were playing cubitos we had gotten one of the rules a little bit wrong and we had a discussion as a table as a group and we said you know do we want to change it to what it should be do we want to keep playing by the wrong rule and we agreed collectively to play by the wrong rule for that first game and then we would fix it going forward and I think that's another important point is that there has to be some kind of shared agreement around that kind of discussion it's nice to let everybody contribute to the decision making process if in fact you realize rules have been missed or played wrong yeah what do you do Matt if you realize mid-game that you've been getting a rule wrong I guess it depends the extent to which it changes the game. Like I've recently demoed Raccoon Tycoon and we missed as you're collecting resources that you can only have 10 in your hand. And so we were just going, oh, this is great. I can just collect resources and collect resources (laughs) and collect resources. And I I was sitting there going, well, where's the impetus to like actually progress any of the things in the game as opposed to just snuffling up everything? Um, And then went, oh, right. Yep. We can only have a limit of 10 and had to go, okay, everybody gets one round to, to get back down. And then from then on, we have to play it right because otherwise this game will just be <laughs> totally broken if we don't. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's a great point. I think for me, whether we decide to change a rule or not also can depend on whether we think changing it will improve our experience with the game or lessen our experience with the game. And so mm-hmm. if if changing the rule mid-game or playing by the right rule will improve the experience or give us a more appropriate, you know, like take on a game, I think we'd be more inclined to change to the correct rule. Mm-hmm. But if everybody's having fun and we don't and it's not that big of a deal, then I'm like, yeah, let's just keep playing by the wrong rule at least for now and then, you know, we can make a decision later. Yeah, I think a lot of times for us it's like a minor thing that doesn't seem like it would change the experience that much. But there are times where we purposely play by wrong rules because we enjoy that better. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's at least one that I know you and I both do always. <laughs> well, well, it's not playing a wrong rule. It's just ignoring. Ignore. The, well, the I mean, ignoring can. a rule feels well, like... No, I mean, so we're talking about strike, right? (laughs) Shocking, (laughs) we're bringing up strike. But but the rule is that you can move dice before you go, and then we just don't. (laughs) And and this is not just an ambient eye thing. Every single person I know that plays strike ignores that rule. Mm -hmm. Like, we always leave the dice exactly where they were from the previous player's turn and then have to throw our gladiators into the arena based on wherever the the previous gladiators landed (laughs) yeah because for us that's more fun 
Yeah. Well, and it, I think it adds a little, an extra layer of strategy mm-hmm. to this already very strategic <laughs> and tense board game. Yeah. I think someone said in the new rules, it, it doesn't have that rule. Oh, like, really? The, oh, yeah, okay. In the, in the reprint, so. Well, that's good because nobody used that rule anyway. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) Well, and if we're talking about games in which people play by the wrong rules, whether intentionally or not, I feel like we have to bring up the classic, which is Monopoly, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I don't think I know anybody who is at least not aware of if they didn't use the free parking, the money and free parking rule. How did that even like... How did it happen. start, right? Yeah, how did it start? Yeah. I don't know. But, and, well, and that's the thing. Like, this is obviously pre-internet. Yeah, and, and it's like everyone did. And <laughs> almost everybody universally knows or did or like was aware of or played by the rule that income tax and luxury tax or the like the money that you pay into certain things on the board. Oh, like community chest things community, too, Yeah, like yeah. they put it under free parking. And then if you land on free parking, you get all that money. And that functionally breaks monopoly (laughs) and none of us you know we were kids we didn't know better and it seemed nice to get something free parking is just supposed to be a garbage space it's supposed to be nothing and we all didn't want it to be nothing and so somehow the entire world decided that we're going to put money under free parking and now the game lasts longer and we're all mad about it and we don't realize that we've we've caused the problem (laughs) yeah Matt, did you play Monopoly when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. And I was just thinking, I mean, I'm guessing that everybody is conscious of the fact that they are playing Monopoly wrong. But I'm curious as to whether or not anybody can actually say all of the things that they've done that are that are wrong about it, right? Like, the if you're not going to buy a property, it has to go to auction. auction. Yeah, and, a lot of people know. skip the auctions mm. part. <laughs> That's like a big part of the game. Yeah, it's the game that everybody does wrong, but everybody probably does it wrong in slightly, subtly different ways. For (laughs) sure. I'm not going to say that Monopoly is the best game ever. It clearly isn't. But some of the hate that gets heaped onto Monopoly, especially from hobby gamers, is based on plays of that game With the incorrect rules. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody remembers Monopoly lasting for way too long and all this other stuff. And I'm not saying that that's not possible. But when you play by the correct rules, Monopoly does not last as long as most games of Monopoly seem to have lasted for a lot of hobby gamers. Yeah, it it doesn't last that long. (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird thing for everybody to decide to house rule a game or play the rules wrong in a way that game makes the game longer and also worse. Right. Like, well, when I was a kid, I liked just being the banker and moving money around. So I guess like it didn't matter to me how long the game was as long as I got to move money. Well, and the thing that's <laughs> weird in my brain is I played Monopoly in two different ways. We had the physical board game and we played Monopoly, you know, the actual board game. I also had the Nintendo Entertainment System cartridge of Monopoly. Uh I had the Nintendo Monopoly game and my mom and I would play it together. And obviously the Nintendo version didn't have broken rules in it. You didn't have (laughs) money under free parking. But in my brain, I don't remember ever questioning that. Like... I very specifically remember putting money under free parking when I played the physical game. And I remember playing it on the Nintendo and not like thinking, why are these two experiences different? (laughs) And I, 
you would huh. think that is a thought I would have had at some point, but I don't remember having that thought. Yeah, I guess you just like separated the games in your mind too. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> That's interesting. All right, well. Moving on from <laughs> Monopoly to hobby games, I will say there have been some games over the years that I have gotten the rules wrong in, some of which I think are somewhat common for hobby gamers and maybe others that are not. For me personally, when I first bought a copy of Pandemic, I made the same mistake that a lot of other hobby gamers have made. And by a lot, I don't necessarily mean a majority. I just know I've seen other people comment about this online. So I know it's not just me. But we, when we first played Pandemic, thought that we had to eradicate all four diseases, not just cure them. Meaning we thought you had to find the cure and get rid of all of the cubes. And eradicating all four diseases is possible, but ridiculously <laughs> difficult. And yet somehow... I still loved Pandemic in those first few plays and I taught it to friends. Like I remember taking Pandemic back home to Missouri with me in like, I don't know what year that would have been, probably like 2010, 2011, something like that. And teaching it to them with like the, the eradication rule. Then they taught, they like, they bought the game and started playing it on their own. And I had to message them at one point and be like, oh my gosh, I've ruined you all. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> like we need to fix this. Wow. Yeah. Another game that I know I got a rule wrong in an early play is that uh, is still a game I love to this day is Kingdom Builder. This is a very simple one, but I used to score castles incorrectly in Kingdom Builder. Generally, if you have, for each castle that you have a settlement next to, you get three points. I originally played the game that you would get three points for every settlement next to a castle, which made castles far more appealing to be around. And so in early moves of that game, everybody was clamoring to be around the castles. But again, since it was, you know, everybody playing by the same mm, wrong yeah. rules, I don't think it was that big of a deal. But I, that is one that I, once I learned the correct rule, I fixed it and have always played correctly ever since. Mm -hmm. sometimes playing by an incorrect rule ruins the game at the beginning um if you if you play by incorrect so the first time i played android netrunner you had to like assemble the deck android netrunner is a card game so each person has a different deck of cards and so they had like a starting deck and it's like oh take these cards and then these other cards and put them together and so like we didn't really understand what all the cards were and we thought we'd got all the cards but we only had like half of the deck of cards <laughs> so so we were playing and it's like it was pretty bad <laughs> because we didn't have all of the cards and we we're like huh this is weird and so we, we did not like it and then our friend told us that it was a really great game and we're like I don't know we didn't really like it and then and so then like somehow we found out that we had played wrong and they're like oh okay okay we'll try again that makes more sense if there's <laughs> we only had half of the deck of cards that makes more sense yep, so then, and then you and guys then, fell in love with netrunner yeah yeah we loved it <laughs> so yeah R playing by wrong rules can <laughs> ruin an experience matt do you have any examples of games that you know you've played rules wrong in yeah i think the first two or three times i played scythe we all were placing the mechs on our home base when we built them and not anywhere you can place a worker, right? So that you can spread out and then drop a mech on that spot and then you're you're jostling mm. for position with people. We just were completely ignoring that. Okay. And in a game where it's hard to move stuff around that much, 
starting all of your mechs all the way back just made it really, really, really long. How did you all find out that you were playing it wrong? We brought somebody in who had played the game who wasn't in our regular group. And they were like, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> have you ever we have went, you ever had a moment where you're that person? Where you're like, um, I, I, you, you, you guys are playing this rule wrong. Like, you know the rule and they don't. I've had some awkward moments with people. And then I, like, doubt myself. And I'm like, wait, maybe mm-hmm. I've been playing it wrong. And then you, you, like, I've done the thing where, like, I'm trying not to be a jerk about it. But I also yeah. want people to, like, know the rules to the game. And so, like, I'll kind of, like, quietly grab the rule book and, like, slide it across and be, like, and just glance. And then if I'm wrong, I'll say nothing. <laughs> I'll just let them keep playing. But if I'm right, then I have that awkward moment of, how do I bring this up? <laughs> yeah, and you could run into something where they know it's wrong. They're consciously choosing not to not to follow it. And then you're, you're I'm actually guy. <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to be the I'm actually guy. <laughs> Nobody I've actually run into that when someone was teaching me the game. <laughs> and yeah. I was like wondering about a thing and then I looked in the rule book and they were teaching me wrong. Ooh. I was like, oh. <laughs> That's an awkward moment. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of different like categories of games that I think they, there, there are lots of moments that come up where rule breaking kind of comes into play. And I think one of the biggest categories of those is games that limit the ways you can communicate with other players. And I will say that I often unintentionally <laughs> cheat at those types of games because I'm a talker and I'm a communicator and it's really <laughs> hard for me to limit those things for me personally. So when I'm playing things like Hanabi or The Mind or The Crew, like a lot of those games in their rule books kind of say like, you're not supposed to communicate at all, which... A, is impossible for humans because there's nonverbal communication. And so, like, not communicating in any way, shape, or form is basically impossible. But then for me, it's extra hard because I just, I I can't just shut down like that. It's not possible for me. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes in those rule books, it's kind of vague what they mean by, like, what's limited. So then people just have it to their own interpretation and their group's interpretation of it. So that's fine. Yeah, and you, you get into the, the awkward half measures where you're kind of allowed to communicate. Like in Shadows Over Camelot, you can say <laughs> what card you, you you can say what card you have, but you're not explicitly allowed to say exactly what number it is. But it's there's only five numbers. It's not that hard to be like, I've got a middle card or I have the absolute worst card. And then you're like, <laughs> right. why 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 does this rule exist at all? Yeah, no, Battlestar Galactica does something similar yeah. where you're not allowed to say exactly what you're contributing to like a crisis, but you do want to communicate something. So we tend to divert to, I can help a little or I can help a lot or I can help a medium amount. But luckily, <laughs> since you're playing multiple cards in Battlestar Galactica, those vague statements usually work pretty well. But in some other games, yeah, I can... It's yeah. it's just like, I don't know why I'm trying to be vague right now. Like, y'all, I got this skill check. It's good. <laughs> so basically, at the end of the day, if we play by the wrong rules, are we, for lack of a better term, dishonoring the game or the game designer? I'd say no. I mean, I think there's even instances where you can change the rules in a way that gives a game a longer lifespan in your group than it would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. In my group, we... You know, Carcassonne's a pretty played out game, but drawing two and choosing one or letting people keep three tiles in their hand and playing one makes the game 
infinitely more strategic than it would be otherwise. And that breathes life into something that, that otherwise wouldn't see the table anymore. And I would imagine that there are some designers that probably would would really want you to play by the exact rules that they wrote. But I would guess that the majority of game designers design games because they want to create fun experiences for people. Like that is their goal is to give a thing to people and have them have fun with it. So even if people aren't playing by the exact correct rules, if everybody's having fun, then I would hope that most designers would be happy with that. You know? Yeah, I think so. I've seen like threads where people are talking about house rules on Board Game Geek and then the designers are like, yeah, you can play however you want or something. <laughs> so so I think, yeah, most of the time they would be fine with it. And I'll admit that I have had moments in my gaming career where I worried that a game that was taught to me by another person that I ended up not liking, mm -hmm. that there was a possibility that you know, maybe it was taught to me wrong and therefore my bad experience wasn't actually based on the game itself, but mm -hmm. just the, you know, and I, yeah. I don't, I can't think of any specific examples where I like know that that happened, but I, when I don't like a game, that's fine. Everybody's allowed to not like things, but maybe there are games out there that I've played and not liked. And the reason I didn't like them wasn't because of the game itself. It was because of a missed rule or something like that. Like mm. I have had those moments of doubt in my head in the past, which I know I shouldn't dwell on because there are so many games and so many, <laughs> like it doesn't really matter, but I still, I want to try and, you know, appreciate and honor the spirit of what a game designer was trying to create. Yeah, have you have you gone back to play the second edition of a game that the first edition didn't land well? I mean, that's kind of the same concept, right? Is the rules are pretty fluid and and maybe the designer looks at it and says, "Hey, there's ways that I can do this better." That's a really good point. I don't know if I can think of any specifically. Most of the time when I come back to a game, even a new edition, it tends to be games that I already liked and then I'm coming back to to try and get even more out of it. But, you know, there are games that I haven't liked in the past that I do want to give a second chance to eventually or, you know, possibly. What about for you, Ambi? I can't think of any second edition games where I've like played the first edition. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> yeah, I can't think of any where I've played both. It's it uh, like for me, like, for instance, like Twilight Imperium, I've only played mm -hmm. the fourth edition. Like I've only played the mm -hmm. most recent one. I think I've played it three yeah. times total. And I've only played 4th edition. And I know that 4th edition streamlines and fixes some things that were in older editions of the game. Which all that proves to me is I don't ever want to play the older editions of Twilight Imperium. Because honestly, I don't even like 4th edition that much. <laughs> like, it's fine. I don't. I think it's a very well-designed game. But it's not a game that I want to go back to again. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, good on you for streamlining things. But uh, it's not not my jam. Yeah, I think that's probably more common, <laughs> even for, if you for sure. get like a couple of rules wrong, especially in a game with that many rules. Yeah, it's, it's probably not going to be like a huge changing your mind thing. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So from the Board Game Blitz podcast officially, we're saying it is not always that important to play exactly by the rules as written, but you know... Your mileage may vary and make sure that you're doing stuff that makes it fair for everyone and try and have some fun in the meantime. Yep. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. 
Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. Forex game you've dreamed of is coming soon. Visit lastlightgame.com to learn more. And if you want to start your holiday shopping early, you can get 20% off non-exclusive items at grayfoxgames.com by using the code BGBLITZ21 at checkout. Join the Blitzketeer community on Discord by following the link in the show notes. You can support the show by leaving us a rating and review on your podcast provider. And if you want behind-the-scenes access and an invite to our private Slack channel, visit patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support was provided by Toby Mount. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, can you read the rules? Can you read the book full of rules? Do you know all of the rules? If you do, then maybe it would be cool. I don't think you do. So you and me are screwed. Bye, everyone. Bye. You can support the show by, <laughs> I scrolled past it Oh, and it scrolled too far. Okay. It's like she didn't stumble or anything. Why'd she stop talking? <laughs> okay. Um.